Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 201, Boniface the Ninth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So we picked the story from a couple times ago with the church reeling from the Great Western Schism. When Urban VI was elected in Rome, the first non-French pope in some time, the French cardinals picked up and left and elected Clement VII, the new Avignon anti-pope. And because of Urban VI's temperament and poor management, most of the church seemed to shift to the anti-pope side. Which brings us to today's pope, Boniface IX. Boniface was born Pierno Tomicelli in Naples sometime around 1350. We don't know much about his youth. He says he studied in Naples, but some documents were written by people who weren't on his side say that he was illiterate and not well studied at all. Regardless, it's evident that he wasn't a trained theologian and that his studies must have been fairly rudimentary. At some point when another Neapolitan, Urban VI, became pope, Pietro was brought into the Roman Curia. In 1381, he was made the Cardinal Deacon of San Giorgio in Velabro, and in 1385, the Cardinal Priest of San Anastasia. When Urban VI died in 1389, Pietro was chosen after a long conclave of the Roman cardinals as a compromise candidate, not being a firebrand or for any faction and acceptable to most. Clement VII was still claiming to be pope at this time in Avignon, and most of Europe seemed to recognize him. Pierno took the name Boniface IX and turned out to be just what the doctor ordered after the disastrous pontificate of Urban VI. Boniface was good-natured, prudent, good at governing, independent, and lived a good and holy life. His temperament and his wisdom enabled him to bring more European powers back to the Roman side, to reestablish papal control of the papal states in Italy, and to return some prestige to the Roman papacy in general. But here at the beginning of his papacy, Boniface was broke, without supporters, and in the middle of several Italian wars. In northern Italy, there was conflict between the various city-states, and Boniface in vain called on the German king, who was still his supporter, to come down and help reestablish papal control. Then in the south, things started heating up in Sicily. There was another conflict as to who would be the king of Sicily, with the two competing popes, Boniface and Clement, crowning rival contenders to the throne within months of each other in the summer of 1390. Boniface's claimant, Ladislaus, was the successful one, and he established a pro-Roman kingdom in the south of Italy. Now, meanwhile, Boniface worked hard to reestablish papal control in and around Rome and the papal states. Now, at first, he was not very successful. A trip to Perugia to try and restore control there lost him some control in Rome, and then he had to run to Assisi to get out of Perugia and then back to Rome, where negotiations came to nothing. And it was pretty clear that the Avignon papacy, which had pretty thoroughly infiltrated Rome and the areas around it with its supporters, was causing a lot of havoc. We have records of several notable people receiving money from Avignon, as well as correspondence between the two. So that's going to make it hard for Boniface to regain some semblance of order. On top of all that, the anti-pope Clement was beginning to make secret plans with both the French and the northern Italian backers of his claimancy to the papacy uh, to march on Rome itself, to defeat Boniface and then end the schism on his side in his terms once and for all. Now, in order to accomplish that, Clement agreed to give up political control of the papal states. But before he could attempt the scheme, the anti-pope Clement VII died in September of 1394. But this did not end the schism. The cardinals in Avignon, who many of them still were resentful to Urban VI, and many of whom were just chosen by the new antipope, they elected Cardinal Pedro de Luna, who took the name Benedict XIII, and the schism continued with a new French antipope. 
Now I'm going to skip ahead a little here and focus exclusively for a little while on the schism itself. It was a huge scandal in the church, and there were attempts to reconcile it, and they were being floated throughout the continent to try and end this. The University of Paris proposed to the King of France three possible options for ending the schism in 1394. They were the via sessionis, the renunciation of two popes, the via compromissi, arbitration about their legitimacy, and the via concilii generalis, the general council. But despite a couple of attempts taking place between the two camps, nothing seemed to be accomplished. At one point in 1398, the French bishops and the king decided to remove their obedience to Benedict. And it was a big moment, and it gave greater legitimacy to Boniface, but they never fully transferred over to Boniface, so eventually nothing came from that either. Boniface, however, slowly started to gain control of Rome and the surrounding area over the following years, and his good qualities helped gain him more allies politically. The Roman commune, which we've heard about on and off now for several episodes, as a political reality, separated most of the time antagonistic to papal control of Rome, was finally broken by Boniface's work, and the popes regained complete political authority over Rome itself. Now, the prestige of Rome was strengthened in a strange way through a pilgrimage of penitents to Rome in 1399. Like the flagellants before them, this group of laymen who dressed in all white made a pilgrimage to Rome to bemoan their sins, and at first the movement was supported by the papacy as the movement was full of enthusiasm and excitement and it drew people into the great religious revival centered on Rome. But once the group got to Rome itself, it was clear it was getting out of control. When some elements in the group were shown to have performed tricks to try and stir up religious fervor, Boniface condemned them and dispersed the crowd on charge of heresy. Boniface's position was strengthened again, however, in 1400, when it was declared to be a jubilee year and featured hundreds of thousands of pilgrims descending upon Rome and seeking a blessing from the Pope. Even the anti-Pope Benedict XIII had to agree to grant indulgences for the jubilee year, which must have killed them because it was all centered on Rome. But the schism for all intents and purposes still remained at an impasse. So with that, let's turn to some other aspects of Boniface's papacy. During his papacy, he faced a large controversy in England over the way revenues were taken from English parishes and positions given to the papal states. Boniface, in the middle of a schism and lacking political control, was in need of cash, and so he, uh, he and the cardinals took creative means to try and raise funds for the papal coffers. He prompted a backlash, both dramatically in England at this time and a simmering discontent, especially in Germany. In England, the king and the nobles protested against the pope and were supported by the anti-papal preaching of John Wycliffe, an English priest and a forerunner of the later Protestant Reformation. Wycliffe, by this point, had died and had been condemned by the English bishops in 1396, but his followers, who were called the Lollards, were still continuing their protest against the papacy. Pope Boniface died in October, October 1st, 1404, and was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. And on his death, his work at reestablishing papal dominion over Rome and the papal states almost unraveled, but the work at fixing that will pass to his successor, Innocent VII, and we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Albemus Popham. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.